Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, the podcast where we learn every radio hit song, sometimes on the guitar, in order. My name is Austin Diaz. And I'm Nick Kendallsperger. All right, so Nick, we have uh, moved on to the superior of the two albums. And this is where the podcast is going to get very interesting, gonna, I think. It's going to get heated. You already called it, it the B-Sides last <laughs> episode. Kid B is the joke. I've not ever heard it. So I've been a champion of Kid A for 22 years, and you have been the amnesiac person. I have been. We're just going to tear each other apart today. Which is like, it's kind of, I mean, it, it goes back to the beginning of our, at least college careers, this argument. We were 18 then. It's been, let's not reveal our ages. It's been a long argument. <laughs> it's been, so yeah, Amnesia came out in 2001. That was the year that we were freshman college roommates at DePauw in Indiana. We had both been through Kid A and then had Amnesiac to discuss. Right. We'd had a summer with it. I mean, it, I don't know what your experience was with Amnesiac, but it just coincided that it happened on my graduation day from high school. Oh, okay. And I was really good friends with another Radiohead fan, Lee, with whom I'd been to two, well, I'd been to one and went to another concert that summer, to the Amnesia concert. I'd been with him and like we were, you know, just hanging out after graduation, playing basketball and we had both bought the album and we put it on and we were just freaking out. Um, And everyone else was like, what are we listening to? (laughs) Yeah, I uh, I have some great stories about how my uh, daughter has been reacting to Amnesiac, but we'll go song by song to lay those out. So I, I loved Kid A, so I could not have been more excited for Amnesiac. So I, I remember the exact time I listened to it for the first time. I was in Hanover, Indiana. I put it on my little stereo, put my headphones on, I laid down in my room on the floor, and I was prepared to be transported. And I remember thinking, why isn't this as good as Kid A? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) And what I'll get to, I'll, I'll just lay out my argument ahead of time, right? What I'm getting to is, like, this has some of the highest of highs of Radiohead's career. But it also has a lot of tracks that I don't like. Or maybe I don't like isn't the right word. I would like to start with this quote by Tom. said, we had this whole thing about amnesiac being like getting into someone's attic, opening a chest, and finding their notes from a journey that they've been on. There's a story, but no literal plot. So you have to keep picking out fragments. You know something really important has happened to this person that's ended up completely changing them, but you're never told exactly what it is. I have to say, I love all the artwork from the Menesiac. I love the tattered book cover. I love the, what is it, the Minotaur. I just wish it lived up to sort of the fragmentary nature that the band members had described it as. Isn't it quite fragmentary? I would like it to be more like that. So I love when albums are sort of rangy, when there's like lots of like weird dead space and pauses and breaks. I'm thinking a lot about like the Downward Spiral by Nine Inch Nails. Like that is an album that just like goes different places. Tools, Enema album, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. 
sort of and this album Kide is a great a wonderful album it's a great album for me it's too sealed off everything is in its right place to use the pun amnesiac it isn't amnesiac is a bit it's wooly it's strange and it's obviously not perfect there's just certain spots in this album where i i want to sit down and listen to the whole album kid a i can go into a song amnesiac i want to go from the very first song to the last song and not skip anything in between and i don't want to listen to the first song without listening to the whole album Whereas Kid A, I can go in, I can like, I can listen to Idiotech, I can put on the National Anthem, I can just listen to Motion Picture Soundtrack. Yeah, see, this that's the almost exact opposite of me. That I find Kid A to be just this, you know, you can break those p- songs apart, and but when you put them together, it just means more. And with Amnesiac, this isn't the right order for these songs. One way that I would say it is that Kid A is a more perfect work of art. And I'm not using perfect as in uh, the sense of spotless, but mm-hmm. like the original meaning of the word is that it's done to the end. Nobody wants to go in and change Kid A. Plenty of people I know right. want to go in and change Amnesiac. Yeah. And for me, that makes it a better work of art. Or that makes it a kind of work of art that I like more because you engage with it your interactions with it or my interactions or somebody's interactions with amnesiac imprints on the album. Um, and even though I listen to it always in order, I I do often think like, ah, I would like that actually this song comes next, but it doesn't. You interact with it that way. For me, it's more of an active listening experience that I've noticed even this time around, as opposed to Kid A is a bit passive. I'm yeah. very active when I'm listening to amnesiac. Well, I would like to, to state up front that I do really, really, really like the album. Maybe I don't love it. We'll see. So the first song is packed like sardines in a crushed tin box. I know that if Kid A hadn't come first, I would not have liked this song, at least not initially. But because we had Kid A and sort of Kid A breaking everything that you sort of expected to come from Radiohead, and you're just sort of like open, this drum, I read a review that calls it like pie pan drumming. It started and I was there. I was completely excited. I was like, yes, this is exactly what I want them to be doing. I want this drum beat and whatever comes. And then you have like this insane like single note line running down and it's just repeating the whole time. It's apparently an Indian water drum. I confirmed that from two different sources. I'm not 100% sure that's right, but it could be. It sounds like you're in an alley, like Tin Pan Alley or something, and they're, you know, like they've caught these sounds and then they arrange them into a drum beat. Even though it also has that acoustic element, like even though it actually sounds like an instrument. I like the words. I like that it's a bit more... I mean, it's just sort of mysterious, but like there's a meaning that you can catch on to and it's not that complicated and that in that way, it's not really distracting. What is, was your initial reaction when you put this on? This is the least impressive opening track to any Radiohead album. 
Wow. I mean, it's like coming in strong with the wrong opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to all the opening tracks, and I mean, comparing you to packed like sardines is a really tough thing to do, but there's no question that you is a more impressive song. This is probably why I have such an antagonistic relationship with Amnesiac. I go back and forth of whether I am okay with this song or like I kind of hate it. Most of it has to do with just I don't think this should be the opening track. It sounds to me like a demo. It doesn't sound like a band track. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading around, Colin has this quote that he said, uh, each song is different, like packed like sardines. It's straight from Tom's laptop, but we're playing it live. It sounds like a Tom demo to me, and it's missing the sort of radioheadness of it. I don't like how the drums sound. <laughs> I like the kettle, the um, Indian water drum, but I don't like the sound of the programmed drums. I mean, I think it pales in comparison to everything in its right place, and then it's not as declarative as Airbag or Planet Telex. Each one of their last opening songs was so different from each other and such this incredible leap. Of course, that's not what Amnesiac was billed as. You can imagine if, like, this Kid A's your favorite album and then this comes on, you can feel a little disappointed. For me, this song feels like a landing. You've sort of been drifting around, especially with that last track with Motion Picture Soundtrack from Kid A. And this song it feels like an arrival, and they even kind of describe it like that. I think Ed in his in an interview said, this is everything coming together. And it's even starting with this track, even though it comes directly from Tom's laptop. And it, I, underst I understand your criticism, but the demo feel of the song is why I like it. I mean, okay. and I think this is our going to be our main disagreement about this album is, again, like I said at the beginning, I like the quasi-unfinished quality of many of these songs and how they are stitched around songs that are astonishing. And that, yeah. like they, that they open with this one as opposed to any of the other ones. I, I, I feel like it's a kind of a declarative statement about this is something different. These are not B-sides, but this is something different. But they're almost daring you to call it B-sides because of the way that this sounds. You know, this sounds like stuff that had leaked. This is sort of like the original version of Climbing Up the Walls, where you had that Tom's demo version that was on the cassette. Yeah. That was more like trip hop. I just find that this is a better version of, or maybe the best version of what Tom was trying to do in that period, and I appreciate that we just have it. I feel like I would feel a lot different about the song if it were anywhere else on the album. Okay. But because it's the first song, I have this immediate reaction i will i am interested like how did you play this song i have a really hard time with this song <laughs> <laughs> i mean i just played the notes right and then tried to play along with it and it's it's really that line like it's it's so prominent at the beginning like and then it sort of fades out and so it's you have to listen really close mm -hmm. to for like you know, like how to play those last four notes, like that F, G, C, D. Yeah. How did you figure that out? When they played the song in 2001 and 2002, they didn't play it that often because it's not that good, but they <laughs> they kind of fuzzed up the bass and I, I didn't really like it live, but they did a version of it 
around King of Limbs when they had the second drummer that is actually pretty cool. And I, I think this is what Tom was playing. It was like... Oh, that's like cool. That. Yeah. And that's pretty cool, I will say. But that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to this song. I mean, as, as you, everyone will have noticed so far, we've not really talked about the music so much. There's this one quote in like a Rolling Stone article where while they were touring from, for Kid A, he was listening to this album all the time on his laptop, ostensibly to figure out a track order, but he just loved listening to it and knowing that they had a secret, like that they already had all of the songs. I think he just likes this song, and I think he likes the whole album. I think the whole band does. And it was like their secret that they just sort of then like let us in on. This song epitomizes that feeling for me. That the opening, how it builds up, that opening drums, how it comes in. It feels like, yeah, you're you're coming in on a secret, like, ah, they've had this for a long time. And they held this back, not because they didn't like it, but because it's like they wanted something for themselves for a period of time. Well, I think we should move on. Yeah. I'm sorry, Austin. Are you ever going to forgive me? I for... will think about it. It's been a rough week. <laughs> it's going to get so much worse. <laughs> All right. So the next song is Pyramid Song. Jump to the Before we get into this too far, I need to, to read this quote from Tom. That song literally took five minutes to write, but yet it came from all these mad places. So I would just like us to think about the fact that this song was written very quickly because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that is an interesting thing to consider when you're discussing art and especially a song like this, where the notes I have for this song are insane. Yeah. I, yes, I don't. And so we're going to talk for a lot more than five minutes about this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's okay. This is arguably one of their very best songs to me, at least pyramid songs. One of those songs that you can just live inside forever and keep finding new things. And I don't think it'll ever end. Ed says it's the best. At the time, it was the best song they had recorded. It's hard with creation of art, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if you read kind of the whole, here's a quote, but I mean, the whole thing is like they were in Copenhagen and nothing was going right, right? Like they were working and they were continually frustrated and like maybe this inspiration from the Egyptian Ausstellung. Um, that's German. What is that okay. word? Exhibit. He went to an exhibit at a museum in Copenhagen. They were working really hard. Like, they were creating art, right? And so mm -hmm. even though 
Tom says like we wrote a song in five minutes, like they didn't. I guess that's true. Yeah. Like when you're really working on art, like you can't just say like, oh, this was only created in five minutes. I mean, there's also like people stories about short stories that are just knocked off uh, in 30 minutes or like somebody wrote this novel like in a night. Like, yes, maybe they did. But there was a lot of work before that. And I think that like what you have here is just a release of prior work and effort. And it comes really quick. But that's why this song is amazing. I mean, like, it's just unreal. I don't know. I have just been playing these chords over and over and over. So what's interesting, too, is that there aren't that many chords and the chords aren't necessarily that weird. No. Um, So much of it is the rhythm of it. Mm -hmm. And so let's get into that really quickly so that we can knock that out. So essentially, it's just a repeating pattern or repeating rhythm that that. So it's it goes uh, bum, 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 bum. And what is fascinating about it is that the chords change over that pattern, but how they line up with the rhythm changes. And so the accented notes happen on different parts of that rhythm each time. It took me so long. I had to essentially create a rhythm track where I just had a bass drum go boom, boom. (laughs) And then I was playing the piano chords over it to get that right. You know, you get into this trance of it, but it feels different every single line. Even though it's a very simple song in some respects, the rhythm is so strange that it makes it feel like it's even more complex than it actually is. So some people don't know what time signature this is in. A lot of people think that it's actually just in 4-4 time. Which is what, what the chord book says. It's so weird that it can sound more bizarre than it actually is. The only metaphor that I could think of, Doctor Who has this, goes around in this thing called the TARDIS, and it looks like a telephone box on the outside, and then inside it's huge, right? And so, like, the running gag through the show, not gag, or, like, the running comment through the show is like, oh, it's bigger on the inside, right? And I feel like that's what's going on with this song, is that, like, it has this box of rhythm, but the way that the music works around it, it's like it's bigger on the inside to double layer. The metaphor here is like, the you know, the TARDIS is then a metaphor for the soul within the human body. You have this like frame of the body, but, you know, the soul, like our desires and loves and everything that's bigger than like what is contained within our body. It's a bit cheesy, but it also relates to, I think, what's going on with this song, both musically and with the words all this talk about like sailing into the afterlife and things like that. Okay. So we, we, we got to keep moving cause we're never <laughs> going to get done. Let's talk about the words. Cause everyone talks about how this is inspired by the Egyptian book of the dead. I can totally understand that. But the first line is I jumped in the river and what did I see? And I don't know if you remember the first line to swing low, sweet chariot is I looked over Jordan and what did I see? A band of angels coming after me. The song has a tie to Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Mm -hmm. So that Swing Low, Sweet Chariot is in reference to in the Old Testament with prophet Elijah's ascent into heaven by chariot. 
So this is on a boat, but it's the same kind of concept of being taken to another place. Well, I mean, you also have astral cars. What else is that than like a fiery chariot carrying you up to the stars? Then we can get into Siddhartha. So Siddhartha saw the river Haston made up of himself and his relatives and all the people he had ever seen, which you think about all my lovers were there with me, all my past and futures. Yeah, I love the plural. Yeah. (laughs) So we also, okay, so we have the Old Testament. We have the Egyptian Book of the Dead. We have um, Siddhartha, which is sort of uh, Buddhism. And then, as we all know, uh, Tom was very familiar with Dante. His uh, long-term partner was Rachel Owen, who was a scholar in Italian Middle Ages and Dante studies. So in, um, at the end of the Inferno, after he gets past Satan... Frozen in the Lake of Tears. And beautitious hinging of the heavenly cars, and we walked out once more beneath the stars. And then also, like, jumped into the river, what did I see? Like, you also have the River Styx imagery, right. where it's being carried over on the ferry, and there's, like, the people that don't have the money underneath their tongues are just sort of swimming around in the river and can't get to the other side. Automatically have this vision of like the person that was in the boat, had the money, and still jumped into the river to see the black-eyed angels swim with me. In very few words, he brings in all of these syncretic vision of the afterlife. But so that's why when people say it's inspired by the Egyptian Book of the Dead, it's like, have you even looked? I mean, that's just one little part. Of- right. And then he gets there, and there was nothing to fear, nothing to doubt. And how do you read that line? So Radiohead are really great about making things sound triumphant. That's one of their things. And this doesn't sound triumphant at all. It's so resigned and sad. It gets into this concept of like to pass along to the next station or whatever it is, whatever you want to call it. Like you have to give up so much of yourself. I mean, it's a deeply disturbing song. I find that this that line, nothing to fear, nothing to doubt, chilling. Radiohead lives in both of those emotions exclusively, but like especially doubt. To be a Radiohead fan is to doubt. <laughs> like, and to be afraid. And, you know, like these two emotions are like what cause create like human creativity. Bravery comes from fear, not from the absence of it. Creation comes from doubt, not the certainty. People don't really create when they're really certain about something, but when they're in doubt, in my opinion. So to get to a point where like, yeah, the afterlife is you just get to a place where there's nothing to fear, nothing to doubt. That means it's over. Like the creative process is over. Even when I was a very strong believer in Christianity, like I always had this hang up about heaven, like the image of heaven where it's like just everything is happy and there's blue skies all the time. And uh, and I thought, uh, no, I like when it rains. I like, you know, I like to be scared sometimes. I like to be, you know, I don't like to be happy all the time. Like, why do you know, like, why is this the ultimate goal? I like older versions of the afterlife. I can wrap my head around them as opposed to like the version of the afterlife that I grew up with. You know, this song is not an epic. It doesn't have three separate parts that interlock in some strange way. What I mean, what I love about it is that they're surprised by its impact. Tom said people always go crazy at the concerts and he, they just don't get it. Another argument for the supremacy of Amnesiac 
I feel like lately there's been a lot of these retrospectives on Kid A because it's been the 20 year anniversary and stuff. Everything that I've read or listened to about this anniversary mentions the Pitchfork review as like it changes how music reviewing is done. It really puts Pitchfork more on the map. You know, it's just this crazy review. What is the song that he talks about first? It's Pyramid Song. It's this one. It's this one. The Kid A review that everyone wants to talk about starts with an Amusiac song. That is true. This is a better song than any of the songs on that album. It's a phenomenal song. (laughs) And you'll never hear me doubt that. It's, you know, I have kind of tried to, how could you put this on Kid A? The problem is how to disappear completely that they sort of occupy the same space. You kind of have to choose one or the other. <laughs> yeah. And you could sort of see Pyramid Song being a closing track, but motion picture soundtrack works so well, you would never want to lose that. And it would leave Kid A a much different album too. I mean, yeah, imagine imagine this being the last track on the album. Like that's devastating. Right, it's just like too where much. Do, where do you as a listener go after that if that's like if this is the last song, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's not Radiohead content coming for a little bit. Like there's something so strangely novelistic about this song. I mean, it's not two verses; it's one verse that repeats itself twice over repeating palindromic meters and notes. If this was at the end of an album, you would you would. Just be sitting there thinking, okay, I need the I need the next part. The whole structure is that the song collapses and circles on itself. It's like the infinity symbol. Tom says there Stephen Hawking talks about the theory that time is another force. It's a fourth dimension, and he talks about the idea that time is completely cyclical and it's always doing this. And he spins his finger. It's a factor like gravity. It's something that I found in Buddhism and Dante as well. That's what Pyramid Song is about. The fact that everything is going in circles. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is their very best song, but it might be Tom's best lyric. Best lyric and best matched melody line. I will not do it justice. I would just tell people to read about what to read Brad Osborne's chapter on this. That's all about voice leading, right? Right. Yeah. So like when his vocal melody hits notes that then the chords follow, even though the chords started first, right? comes in and hits notes that then like for that change from f sharp uh, f sharp major to f sharp minor yeah which is just you know because i was just sort of like kind of picking through it as and trying to sing along and then that changed to that f minor and i was like oh man this is a trick that they he's had for a long time but it's used so economically here right and decisively you think about exit music and how it just kept going back and forth with like seemingly at random. And then you get to this and it's so simple, but makes such a bigger impact. Yeah. But see, this is, that's what I was talking about or trying to articulate earlier. And I have it in my notes, just trying to talk about is that like, you said it really well, like he does it, it's employed so economically, but it's, he could only do that because he didn't do it economically earlier because he has all of this past work of, playing and employing this idea this like major to minor with the same bass notes he doesn't have to be showy about it it's just like that's what happens at this part of the song and then he goes on and that's what i mean like yeah it came in five minutes but there's over 10 years of songwriting just for that change that's a really good way to put it okay 
We have to move on. We have to move on, but that was pretty wonderful. Yeah. That's why I love doing this thing, this podcast, is talk about stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I was looking forward to that for like months. We're moving on to the second best song on the album. Uh-huh. <laughs> the way you look at me. Pulk Pool Revolving Doors. keep this in i've been trying to like just fuzz out my electric guitar you know using the chord voices that they have and like feedback trying to get something close to that i can cut up but i yeah thus far been unsuccessful and it might break me like i don't even know where to begin to recreate this i mean like we might just have to like put in some sort of like beatboxing version of this song at the beginning for later (laughs) (laughs) this is probably the most divisive Radiohead song so far. Would you say that's probably true? I guess so. I mainly just feel like people dismiss it or don't like it and like put it at the bottom of lists of all Radiohead songs and they're just like, yeah, we just put it there and they don't want to talk about it. I don't, I mean, I've not encountered too many people online that love it. I fucking love this song. I I, I enjoy it <laughs> immensely. I, yeah. This is exactly what I want amnesiac to be this is everything i need yeah i'm very surprised because i was ready to mount like a great defense of this song and like how it's great because <laughs> i love it i do i really do i genuinely love this song and i've loved it for a long time maybe i loved it because it was so difficult and that i was trying to make myself feel better like feel cooler because like i loved poke pole but Man, it's another example of like, it really shakes your head when it comes on. It's a full body experience, especially at the beginning. I would guess that you like this because it's not a demo version of this song. One of the most exciting things for me personally was listening to the bonus disc of Kid Amnesia and learning that basically Polk Pull started its life as True Love Waits. They were trying to figure out what to do with True Love Waits. Right. I mean, they had the acoustic version. It's like they kept trying to figure out True Love Waits. And so on OK Computer, there's a a number of different versions that they're trying. And then during this session, (laughs) they like really try to like screw it up to be like, let's just go for it. And so it's very interesting to listen to the True Love Waits version on Kid Amnesia, though it does sound not as good. It it was an experiment, I think. I mean, it is really interesting to listen to what I think I can only hypothesize. I hypothesize that they scrapped it as an adaption of True Love Waits because you couldn't work in that just part in the chorus. Like this version just says the don't leave, but that just, that sustains just at the beginning is very Mm -hmm. important, even if you want to negate like what the song is about. That Kin Amnesia not only has the aggressive drums, but has what's called the True Love Tape Loop that was actually recorded during the OK Computer sessions, mm-hmm. which you can hear on the mini disc leaks. I did. Basically just atmosphere with some keyboards. And so all of those sounds that are happening like on the sides mm-hmm. is from OK Computer era. The thing I love most of all is that Tom was just like, screw it. 
<laughs> and he completely chopped the song up and turned it into a song that just doesn't sound i mean it doesn't sound like anything they've done before it has a very industrial music sound i don't know how much i mean i've already mentioned nine inch nails i was not like jarred by this song because okay i'm a huge nine inch nails fan what i liked is that they didn't like nine inch nails has tendency that i liked but also was also a bit disturbed by to descend into too melodic which is also the problem that lots of industrial fans have with nine inch nails I mean, there's a reason that I think like maybe five, seven years ago, there was a spate of, you know, um, Taylor Swift uh, with Nine Inch Nails or Carly Rae Jimson with Nine Inch Nails. Like, and it matches up pretty perfectly because he was basically writing pop songs with yeah. an industrial makeup. He has a real way with melody. He really does. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and I appreciate that. But like with this song, I realized, yeah, I would wish that they would also just stay with the chunking, chugging and not be melodic about it. Like, don't worry about it. I realize, yeah, I want mm-hmm. this. And that's why I like this song. <laughs> so this is definitely a song that they took Tom's voice and he kind of just read it very straight. And then they manipulated his words to give it some notes, but it still has essentially no melody. There is something about this song that feels very Kid A like, like literally opening a door into the subconscious or to your sort of thoughts as a kid. And that checks out because if you look it up, this was actually most of the words come from a children's book. There's a book called Childcraft, How Things Work from 1973. It may have been written beyond that, but this was the latest edition. (laughs) It's called There's More to a Door Than You Think. (laughs) There are barn doors and doors with many windows. There are doors and doors and doors and beds, doors in the rudders of big ships and doors and clocks. There are sliding doors and folding doors, swinging doors and secret doors. There are doors that lock and doors that don't. And doors have many parts. There are hinges and latches, locks and keys, doorknobs and doorbells, and even door knockers. There is more to a door than you think. (laughs) Uh, old old kid books are so deliciously upsetting i mean isn't that just creepy well it's creepy because we have radiohead in our heads right no it's creepy by itself imagine you're a kid and then all of a sudden there's doors in beds and it's like there's a door in my bed (laughs) like where does it go i mean you know you have kids yeah or you have a kid i have kids like they freak out, like they can latch on to something like that, and that's just scary, which I love. Right. Well, because, yeah, what could come out of the bed in the right. middle of the night? Yeah. So then, yeah, they, he's kind of condensed that paragraph down into, I guess, yeah, things on their own, they don't sound creepy, but then, yeah, I guess they do when you sort of line them all up. There are doors that open by themselves. There are sliding doors, and there are secret doors. There are trap doors. I will say I did not play this song. I have tried to play it. With like, okay. the, like, like <laughs> the C7, you know, like the C7, but you know, it just does, nothing works. I mean, essentially the chord book only has a C7 and then a C suspended two. Well, also in this one, they have a, a line that just says percussion and noise times 12. <laughs> yeah. 12 what? <laughs> 12, 12 times do the percussion and noise. The juxtaposition between pyramid song and this is one of my favorite transitions of any 
Radiohead album. Right. Especially if you have, like, with the last line, you're like, nothing to fear, nothing to doubt. They're like, yes, wait, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Were you feeling yeah. calm? That was a mistake. Well, I'm glad we both liked that. I, uh... Yeah, I was, I was prepared. To, I was, I was going to be passionate. Okay. Well, yeah. No, I mean, um, I do. I'm I'm going to be totally honest about this album. I promise. I will lavish praise on the songs that I think deserve it. All right. We should move on to the last song that we're talking about today. You and whose army? Come on. Come on. You and whose army? You. I think we have to say at the top that we've, I think we played this song once together. Oh yeah, we did in college. I wanted to discuss why we only played it once, because I have very specific memories of playing this song. We played it at that one bar. That was underground. That was underground. And like, we were the only ones that were sort of doing anything that wasn't bluegrass. Yep. So we got it. We were up there and we like played this song. People were just, nobody was into what we were doing at all. I feel like nothing <laughs> like that... not even a little bit. Yeah, like nothing that we played at that venue landed because they were like, this is not uh, bluegrass. But there was the one... I remember there was one older upperclassman that came up to us later and was like, thank you for playing Radiohead. And, but then we never played the song again in public. I think we were like ruined by the inattention that we got at that gig. And it all flooded back when I started learning it again because I love this song. Okay. I don't know how you feel about it, but like... <laughs> Play the, you play that opening D sharp minor, and I'm, yep, this is. You can't compare it to the complexity of any of the three songs that have come before, or anything on Kid A, but I sort of like it because of. Yeah, it feels like a throwback almost. There's like, oh my god, look at all these chords. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel very conflicted about this song. I'm going to introduce a concept of a style of Radiohead song that I have issues with and yeah. this is sort of the beginning of that it's the radiohead slow build and then release so this is basically three separate parts it's not so much as a journey as it is like we're going to get to the part where it gets loud and then it just stays loud until the end these are not my favorite kinds of radiohead songs i will say i had a lot of fun playing it well i had a lot of fun playing the first two parts we can talk about the last section the the uh, last section is like the that one yeah about the ghost horses yeah i find it doesn't it's not as much fun to play by yourself because you don't have the rest of the band like roaring around you the chords are then all of a sudden just i mean None of the chords are complex, but for some reason, especially because it's just a C-sharp 5, and you're not even doing the minor anymore, it really gets... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds a bit more 90s rock. It sounds it sounds 90s rock when I play it by myself, <laughs> right? Yeah, when you don't have the piano and... Like, on the album with yep. all the other accoutrements, it's much less 90s rock. 
I, I mean, I understand what you're saying. This is a very popular Radiohead song for maybe diehard Radiohead fans. That's always tripped me up, is that it just kind of feels like they... It doesn't tie together at the end. It's just, it's a through composed song essentially. And so it, at the beginning, it's it's basically just guitar and voice. Johnny had mentioned this very, very old group called the Ink Spots. Did you listen to them? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Every so, song I mean, kind of sounds the same, but. It does kind of sound the same. They have this sort of guitar lick that they play at the beginning of most songs that mm-hmm. is essentially identical to every other song, but it's a low register harmony. When you listen to the song on headphones, you can hear that, you know, the guitar's on the right side, Tom's in the middle, and then on the left side is Tom harmonizing in a lower register. And so it sort of gives you that dusty, old school, 1930s vibe, especially because they recorded the song, Tom was singing through an egg box, to sort of get that muffled sound. Egg box. I mean, like in America, in America, the States, we say egg carton, right? I, I, only knew, I only knew that it was egg box because there's a book, a children's book here that my son likes. It's called Egg Box Dragon. And I was like, oh. Egg Box Dragon. Ah, egg carton. I don't know. Yeah, that's funny. I didn't even connect that, that I was, that that wasn't what we called it here. That's funny. I thought about like playing a joke and bringing it up and recording this whole section with an egg, egg <laughs> carton around my microphone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the guitar thing at the beginning is just kind of keeps going down. I mean, what key is that? Is that a key or is that? That's, it's very chromatic. It's not right? a, it's not a set key. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I understand the criticism of this song, but I, and I'm maybe not the diehard that like loves this song, but or I love. I said I love the song already, but I don't think I, I don't think I I don't think I love it in the way that like other red diehard radio fans love it. I just like I sort of love it in spite of the fact that I don't think it's maybe their best song. I think it's just you such know. a relief that I mean they even said that this was a song that they recorded together. It wasn't just a studio, even though I appreciate that aspect of Kid A and some of the two of the previous songs. What I like about Amnesiac is that it mixes this up. All of a sudden you just have a band song. And it's a mm-hmm. pretty good one. I mean, and I, you know, I love this, uh, the D sharp, um, what is this chord? Oh, it's a D minor seven flat fifth. It is a D <laughs> sharp. I know it's wrong in the book. I yeah, noticed that. Again, I mean, it's like, maybe the people that put the book together can correct it and then send me a new version. Because you keep having mistakes. I mean, that like, yeah. it's a D sharp. Because I was like playing it, and they, cause they kept saying like, I looked up here and it said fifth fret. And I was like, nope, that's not right. I will say that's my favorite part of the song. No, it's it's, is, it's uh, by far the best part of the song. I realized you have to play it with your thumb, not a pick, to make it sound more muted. I'm I'm down with all those jazzy chords, like. Yeah, this is it. In the verse, I do love when he all of a sudden says Holy Roman Empire. <laughs> right. Because it sounds so cryptic and there's some hidden meaning there, but I don't I don't really think there is. I think it just is a, a beautiful sounding word. It is, a, it is a fun set of three words. Holy right? Roman Empire. Like it's just something is weird about it. Because it sounds very old. But it wasn't that old, actually, I guess, in comparison to European history in general. 
No, I mean, like, it didn't really end until Napoleon. Yeah, but it sounds ancient, right? (laughs) Yeah, it does sound ancient. Yeah, I I do like the vibe of the song. I love the breath at the beginning of the song and how the transition again between Polk Pole and this is pretty cool. I'm not super thrilled with the last part. I like the um, words of the last part. I find do it, you? I find Why? It, I just find it fun. Like, we ride tonight ghost horses. It's like, yes, we're just going... What are ghost horses? I don't know. I feel like I'm just going to go fight <laughs> some ghosts, right? Like, it's like that uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Like, you and, you and who's army, and, like, he shows up with the army of the dead. On the one hand, like, it's really cool until you realize, like, okay, well, now it's over. Maybe that's a perfect metaphor for the song that I'm just coming up with is that like it's really cool in the Lord of the Rings where like uh, when he goes and recruits the army of the dead, you know, yeah. and, like he has to say he has the sword that was <laughs> that blade was broken, you know, and you're like, yeah, it was, but it's back. And then you have to come with him and then they show up and the, just the battle's over and it's kind of right, you know, so it's sort of a, it's because like, they can. Who can defeat them if they're right. invincible? Like, <laughs> right? Nobody, nobody can hurt them. And right, like it builds up. And like, I mean, because initially when I was playing it, and then when you hear it, when you hit that, like, in that part, like, you forget so easy. And then you hit the. It's you're like, oh yeah, and then it's you think it's gonna break out to something much cooler than it does. I still really like it. I agree with the end. I think it. I mean, I think it would be really fun to play in a band. In a full band, you know, you just get to that end, and you have somebody that could sing, or do you just sing that enough, like and the drums going nuts? Like it's fun. So whew, we got through that. Yeah, it's not so not so, not too contentious so far. So I love two of the songs, and then I feel very conflicted about two of the songs, and that's probably going to continue for the rest of the yeah. album for me. <laughs> so next week or next time we're doing. I might be wrong. Knives out. Morning bell. The superior version. And dollars and cents. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. Mm-hmm.